0: I have a question for you this morning as we get started. You can see the question. Um, I can read it way back there, barely. How would you describe yourself? It's a typical question that's asked or often asked in an interview, isn't it? Describe yourself in three words. And um, I found on the computer that there are lots of helps and aids in the process. There are lists of words that you should use and words that you should not use to describe yourself when you are um, being asked that kind of a question. Obviously, words like domineering and um, that sort of thing are not good words to use in an interview, but um, there are other words that are good, and you see some of them listed here for us. Things like reliable and organized and all that sort of thing is really helpful. this morning, we want to focus on how we, um, how we describe ourselves, and I want to do that by looking at, the, at John's description of himself as we work together uh, through our study of the Gospel of John. We're really introducing ourselves to the book by introducing ourselves to John this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, and read with me from the very end of the Gospel of John. And we want to read together responsively uh, these words uh, from John chapter 21, beginning at verse 17. Excuse my back as I turn to look at the screen with you. If you'll join me in reading the yellow print, I would appreciate that very much. John 21:17. he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will guard you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord... Who is the one who will betray you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die but only, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Thank you. Please be seated. So our question this morning really focuses in a little bit more on our walk with the Lord. And what I want to ask is, how would you describe yourself as a Christian? If somebody said to you, how do you see yourself in your relationship with the Lord or in your walk as a Christian, how would you describe yourself? Perhaps you picked up on as we read through that passage of scripture, or maybe you already knew that the Apostle John never refers to himself by name in the Gospel of John. It's one of the major writings in the New Testament. And in, those, in that Gospel and in the three letters that he wrote, he never ever refers to himself by name. Instead, when he refers to himself, He always uses the phrase, or a form of the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, that's really interesting, I think, when you think about that. The disciple that Jesus loved. Do you think he's saying that Jesus didn't love the other disciples? No, I don't think so. That wouldn't square. And if you were another disciple, if you were James or Matthew or or somebody, and you had John say, The disciple that Jesus loved how would you feel Fran has a cousin his name is Don and he grew up in a large family and Don was the kind of guy every time they had a family reunion he looked for some creative way to share with the rest of the family mom loves Don the best One year they had a reunion in the state of Colorado and he got the governor of Colorado to write a letter stating that. And it was read to the rest of the family in their family reunion. Now, I don't think that's what John is doing. But when he describes himself, he always describes himself, except in the book of Revelation where he refers to himself four times by name. I think that's for a whole different purpose and another occasion. But he always describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I thought that's really interesting to describe yourself that way. And so whenever John refers to himself, it's, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. So I'm gonna use that this morning, that self-description, of John to sort of survey the life of John, to give us a picture of who this man is. And I see it under four headings. Being loved by Jesus means, first of all, being invited into his family. Being loved by Jesus means being invited into his family. What we find when we go through the Gospel of John is that John uh, is a a member of Jesus' extended family. Maybe you knew that. What we find is that James and John are first cousins of Jesus. You think about your first cousins. What we understand from the Scriptures is that the Zebedee family was a fishing family, right? We read the story about James and John being called by Jesus from their father's fishing boat. And they got up and left that fishing boat. John's um, John's mother was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's likely that John is one of the disciples of John the Baptist that's mentioned in John chapter one verse thirty-five. It says there were two disciples who were listening to John the Baptist, and he said, "Behold." the Lamb of God, he pointed to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. And those two disciples started to follow Jesus, and they wanted to know where he was staying. One of them was Andrew, the other is not named, which is typical for John to either not name himself or to refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, This is a picture of an actress who portrayed the role of Salome, the mother of James and John and the sister of Mary. So that means that James and John are first cousins of Jesus, and it's likely that John is the youngest of all of the family members, of all the cousins and so forth. And the reason I say that is because we find that John is still living at about 96 or 97 AD. So that means if he's maybe 17 or 18 at the time Jesus calls him, that that puts him in his late 80s or so at the time that we get to the end of the recording of the book of Revelation. So John is the youngest, perhaps, of the disciples, and maybe that's why so often he doesn't include his name. Maybe there's a little bit of intimidation. When you're you're in a group of family members and you're the youngest, sometimes you feel like, you can't speak up, or you need to be careful how you handle yourself. Some of you youngest siblings out there maybe know that sort of thing, that you tend to be bossed around a little bit. And I don't know if that's true for John or not, but certainly in his temperament and his personality, he is uh, treated in that way. He is one of the first disciples called by Jesus. He was invited to become a fisher of men. Remember the story that Jesus... Approached him and in the Gospels where the accounts are given it's Simon and Andrew Simon Peter and Andrew who are called first and then James and John and So these two cousins of Jesus are invited to be part of the, the Following of Jesus and they walked away from their fishing boat. He observes a number of miracles and the teaching of Jesus If you sort of trace the early parts of the various Gospels, you find that after Jesus called these disciples, he went into the synagogue, and he was teaching in the synagogue, there was a man who was demon-possessed, and Jesus healed the man. And then he went from the synagogue into Peter's home, and we have the four disciples with him as he goes into Peter's home, and you'll remember that he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then there were a lot of people who were brought to the home of Peter to be healed, And then he observed that Jesus um, left that location. Remember, he said, let's go to other towns because I have come to preach rather than to heal. He was an observer from a distance of the miracle in Luke 5 when Jesus said to Peter, throw the net on the other side of the boat, push out a ways and let down your net for a catch. And he had such a catch of fish that Peter and Andrew had to call their partners, James and John, to come and to bring all of the fish to shore and when they did they left them behind so you have the these early experiences that John has as he is um, as he's called by Jesus to be a disciple he's also present at the wedding in Cana and my presumption is that the wedding of Cana is the wedding of one of Jesus sisters we know that he had at least three brothers and that he had at least two sisters. And there's a wedding that takes place. It's recorded for us in John chapter 2. And when they run out of wine, Mary comes to him. She is feeling responsibility for the one who is hosting the reception. It's because she's the mother of the bride. And as such, she comes to Jesus, who is the eldest in the household now, and so he's the responsible person for this wedding reception and so jesus turns the water into wine and john observed that now if it wasn't jesus sister it might have been john's sister or it might have been somebody else who was involved in the process but either way john observes that and he also observes this cleansing of the temple that takes place very early in jesus ministry so he's observing the things that jesus is doing and responds to him as um as this one who is demonstrating that he has the authority to forgive sins. Remember when the paralytic is let down through the roof and Jesus makes the claim in front of the religious leaders, son, your sins are forgiven. And we have that whole thing. And then Jesus says, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins on the earth, get up and walk. And John is observing all of that. And then early on in his ministry, John shares the need of being born again. He records for us, he's the only one who records for us this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And often we refer to that conversation because Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless someone is born again, is born from heaven, that person can never enter the kingdom of God. And so John shares that. Now, John likely was a disciple of John the Baptist and then was pointed to Jesus. And what we know from the Scriptures is those who were followers of John the Baptist are much more likely to embrace Jesus. And those who rejected John the Baptist are much more likely to reject Jesus. So John, somewhere in these early days, comes to understand that being a member of the physical family of Jesus is not enough. You have to also become a member of the spiritual family. And he writes right at the beginning of his book these words, but as many as received him, that is received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, nor, uh, uh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John points out from the very beginning of his book the necessity of being born again and becoming a child of God. Sometimes in this world around us, we hear things like, everybody is God's child. And what the Bible teaches us is that's not true. Everybody is God's creation, but only those who are born again are the children of God. And so John would say to us that it's necessary for us to be born again. And he's the one who records these very familiar words for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Being loved by Jesus means being invited into his family. And John has experienced that. And perhaps like you today, there's an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Jesus loved me. Jesus died for me. And Jesus welcomes us into his family. That's part of the lesson of John. Someone has said the greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. Loved for ourselves, or rather, loved in spite of ourselves. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while I sort of stop and reflect on that. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me in spite of all of the things that I may be. And that's John. And so when he describes himself, he says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I think he's saying in part, I'm a part of Jesus' family. Secondly, being loved by Jesus means being invited into the fellowship of Jesus, being invited into a relationship with him. He was appointed with the 12 to serve. He's usually listed either third or fourth in the list. There are four lists in the New Testament of the 12 apostles. And... Um, In two of them, he's listed number four. In one of them, he's listed number three. And in the list in the book of Acts, he actually is listed as number two. These men were sent out in pairs to preach and to heal. You'll remember that Jesus sent John out. I don't know if he went with his brother James or if he deliberately paired him up with someone else, but he sent them to preach and to carry the authority of Jesus to represent him. So John, as a result of responding to this invitation to be part of Jesus' family, also then is appointed to be one of the 12, and he is brought into a closer relationship. Mark says that Jesus appointed the 12 to be with him. He wanted them to be with him, and so John is in a special way with his cousin, Jesus, As he follows him as a disciple and then as you remember remember the story he is drawn into the inner three we have usually then Peter James and John and Jesus does certain things where he only invites the three of them so when he is called to the house of of the synagogue official Jairus and he's ready to go into the house he only allows Peter James and John To go in and so these three witness that miracle then you'll remember that the three of them are likewise taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration and so when Jesus is ready to uh, experience this and to allow the glory of God to be manifested in his life it's Peter James and John who were with him on that mountaintop experience and then in the Garden of Gethsemane You remember that the the night before Jesus died, he went into the garden to pray after the upper room experience. And they go into the garden with the 11 disciples. Judas has been dismissed and sent out. He's bringing the people who will arrest Jesus. And when they get to the garden, he leaves eight of the men, and he takes the three with him. Again, Peter, James, and John are named as the one who who, who are brought apart with Jesus. And Jesus says, would you watch with me? would you stand guard with me my soul is deeply distressed and so John is given that special privilege John sees himself as being loved by Jesus as he's brought into this this really personal and intimate relationship and then in the upper room we find in that experience that John and Peter were the two who were sent to prepare the Passover meal they set up everything in the house for the meal that evening and then John is the one who um, leans back next to Jesus He's seated next to him and it's at that point that Jesus shares this new commandment and so John once again is in this close fellowship and in the Gospel of John in several places John encourages those of us who are followers with Jesus to abide with Christ In John chapter 15, we read these words. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus is saying to John and to the other disciples and to you and me, I want you to abide in me. I want you to to walk with me. I want you to enter into an individual personal relationship with me. And so the love that Jesus has for you invites you into this inner sense of fellowship, the intimacy that Jesus wants to have with you. Thirdly, this sense of being loved by Jesus uh, means being invited into his ministry as well. We've already seen that John was a part of Jesus' ministry, that he was sent out to preach and to heal that he was given authority as part of the work of Jesus. But as that continues, we find also that Jesus says to his disciples, you need to take up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow me, you have to be willing to accept the hardship and the difficulty and so forth as you understand the opportunity to serve. And then, uh, in a special way, he is brought into a unique relationship and that he is asked by Jesus to care for Jesus' mother. John was the one who was standing by. He says in John chapter 19 that Jesus, seeing the disciple that he loved, standing next to his mother, said to him, Behold your mother. And so John is given responsibility for Jesus' mother, for his aunt, to care for her. What we know from the Gospels is that Jesus' brothers are not yet believers, and they, they, were, they had an animosity toward Jesus because they didn't believe. And so Jesus gives the care of his mother to John. He's brought into an, um, a sense of responsibility and service. And then we find that he, along with the others, are commissioned to carry the Gospel to take the message of Jesus to the earth, even as you and I are. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to them after his resurrection, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all of the things that I have commanded you. And so John is one of the ones who accepts that responsibility. And likewise, you and I, as those who are loved by Jesus, are given that commission to make disciples wherever we go. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus follows that up with words a little bit later as he says, You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so John is given the responsibility of being a witness of Jesus. You're a witness also, and you're given the opportunity. Being loved by Jesus, you're Im- invited into his embrace to be someone who becomes a witness of Jesus. And then we find also that he becomes a pillar of the church. Interestingly enough, John is only ever mentioned by name one time in all of the epistles. Once you exit the book of Acts, you don't find John's name anywhere in any of the rest of the New Testament except one time in Galatians when Paul says, when I went up to Jerusalem for the the church council... Barnabas and I were given the right hand of fellowship by James and Peter and John, who were the pillars of the church. And so that's the one reference that the Apostle Paul ever makes to John. Very interesting, isn't it? That you would not find his name in any of those New Testament epistles, not even in his own, until you get then ultimately to the book of Revelation. But John is given responsibility to serve. And as we saw in the passage of Scripture here, as Jesus is on the beach that morning with uh, five or six of the apostles, Jesus says to Peter, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so John steps into that role, loved by Jesus. He's overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus loves him. It goes way beyond being a cousin. It goes even beyond being his savior. John understands that God loves him, that Jesus loves him. And his response is to step into the areas of responsibility and serving the Lord. And so he becomes an example, really a challenge for you and me to love Jesus as well. In Matthew 16 in that passage. I referred to a moment ago Jesus says to his disciples for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it But whoever loses his life for my sake will fi- will find it For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then repay every man according to To his deeds John understood that he knew he was loved by Jesus and that love drew him into this service and ministry and likewise you and I need to find that role that Jesus has for us we don't know how long we will live our lives are precarious in this world and so we need to respond to the opportunity to serve because you are loved by Jesus. Finally, being loved by Jesus means being invited into his confidence. We are invited into his family. We can be born again. We're invited into his fellowship. He wants us to to enter into that intimacy of fellowship with him, and he wants us to serve him. He also invites us into his confidence. He wants to share his thinking with us. And so we find in a number of ways as John walks through this ministry that he has given insight from Jesus' teaching. Remember in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said to his disciples when they said, why are you speaking in parables? He said, to you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given, lest they should understand and and they would incur greater wrath. So the disciples, those who are loved by Jesus and those who respond to him, are given greater insight. And that's what John enjoyed as he listened to Jesus' teaching. And then in Matthew chapter 16, remember the story when when uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and Jesus said to him, well-spoken, you didn't get that from flesh and blood. My Father, who is in heaven, gave you that insight. And then in the next conversation, when Jesus says, "I'm the Son of Man is going to go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and will be crucified. And Peter says, Lord, that's not going to happen. God forbid Lord, that that would happen. Remember, Peter said to, uh, Jesus said to Peter at that point, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind on man's interest, not on God's interest. What Jesus was doing was giving to Peter and John and vicariously giving to you and me insight into the mind of God. The Scripture says, that our ways are not God's ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts but as the heavens are higher than the earth so are God's thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways and our ways and that's what Jesus wants to do and so when you when you're loved by Jesus and you're brought into this relationship what he does is give you insight it comes from reading the word it comes from walking with him and understanding it comes when we put aside our sense of entitlement, and our determination to go our own way. And when that happens, he gives us this insight from the Father. And he says in Matthew 24, when he sits down with Peter and John and Andrew again, and he says to them on that occasion, see that no one misleads you. He's here on this mountain The Mount of Olives overlooking the city of of Jerusalem and he says to his disciples on that occasion make sure nobody misleads you here's what's going to happen and he unfolds the events that are going to take place as the tribulation occurs on this planet and so Jesus takes us into his understanding If you and I are willing to walk with him, if we're willing to respond to that love, then he grants to us greater insight, greater understanding as we move along. And then John is also given insight for the future. In Matthew chapter, excuse me, John chapter 13, Jesus provides that new commandment. Remember, he said at the supper, a new commandment I give to you, not not as, as you have before, But this new commandment is, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another, and all men will know that you're my disciples. He leads us along that line. And a few verses later, he says to his disciples, no longer do I treat you as slaves. Slaves don't know what their master is doing, but I treat you as friends. And so Jesus invites us into that relationship as a friend, that he would provide for you understanding and give you a sense of what he is thinking and what he has for you. And then in the next chapter, he says that when the Spirit of God has come, he will guide you into all truth. And so John is the one who unfolds for us this sense of of, um, moving into the mind of Jesus The Apostle Paul will come along later and say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But John is the one who tells us how that happens. And then he's given insight for communicating truth to others. And that's something that's given to us as well. First, John was guided by the Spirit in the recording of the Gospel of John. Everybody says that's written last out of the four Gospels, probably at around 90 A.D. Maybe... Maybe that's why nobody took offense when he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. All the rest were dead at that point. I don't know. But I think it's more than that. I think it's this sense, this special sense that John has that this man who was his earthly cousin, but who is his heavenly Lord and Savior is the one who has loved him And drawn him unto himself and so he records this gospel uh, late in the first century and then about the same time the Spirit of God guides him as he writes the epistles 1st John 2nd John and 3rd John also at about 90 AD by most wrecking and then thirdly uh, he writes the book of Revelation doesn't he he is given this revelation by Jesus on the island of Patmos it says, as it's introduced to us, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. And he sent and communicated by an angel to his apostle John. And John is the one who records for us this book of Revelation. Here's the point of, as I say, John's life. The, the point is that being loved is the greatest thing in the world. To be loved by someone. And John says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He's not talking about anybody else. He's not comparing himself. He's just saying, Jesus loved me. Jesus loved me. And you and I need to wrap ourselves around that as well and understand that you are loved. Maybe nobody else in the world loves you. I hope that's not true, but it's possible. It's possible that you feel sometimes that nobody else in the world loves you, but Jesus loves you, and you need to envision yourself as having Jesus just wrapping his arms around you. That's how John thought of himself, and as a result of that, God used him in marvelous ways. Someone has said, loving is happiness, but being loved is eternal bliss. And that's where John is coming from. Another has written, all the treasures of the earth are not worth the happiness of being loved. So, here's the bottom line as I see it. Being loved by Jesus invites intimate kingdom ministry. Knowing that you are loved by Jesus, basking in the love that Jesus has for you, invites you to, to participate in this kingdom ministry. So first of all, if you've never been born again, if you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior, understand that being a member of a physical family, a physical Christian family, is not enough. John says, unless a man is born again, I was his cousin, but I needed to be born again. And so do you and I. If you're watching online, we're able to assist. You can contact us here at the church. Secondly, enter into Jesus' love. Let him love you. Let him wrap his arms around you. Bask in that. Read the passages. Focus on the fact that Jesus loves you, and then embrace Jesus' calling. Respond to that as you seek to serve him. Will you pray with me? Father, we focus this morning on this great saint of yours John the Apostle. We're grateful for him, a sensitive spirit, uh, maybe a little shy and retiring initially, but ultimately becoming one of the great saints of the first generation. And he records for us from his vantage point as one who was loved by Jesus, and he invites us into that relationship as well. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you for all that you've given to us in Jesus. We bless you this morning in that light. And we want to praise you today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen. If you will stand, I would like to share with you this word of benediction, and then Ray's going to close with a postlude. Will you stand? From Hebrews chapter 13. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, and I'll insert the words, who loves you, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through His Son, Jesus Christ.